Section 26 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13, The New Enemy, Part 2. Innocent gnashed his teeth at these several rebuffs. We must first crush or pacify the great dragon, were his rumored words, and then we shall easily trample these smaller basilisks underfoot. Even in Lyon his domineering conduct had excited unpopularity, and the angry townsmen had threatened to throw his priests into the Rhone, and had burnt his costly and extensive wardrobe. They were only conciliated by lavish gifts of English money which continued to flow into the papal coffers. Yet even this source of pecuniary consolation, unfailing though it seemed, began to grow precarious and thereby caused Innocent much anxiety. From Lyon he had sent Master Martin to England to demand a special contribution for the necessities of the Apostolic See. The matter had come to the ears of the Emperor, who thereupon sent Walter of Okra with a letter to Henry and his council. This letter ended with something like a threat, that all money sent to the Pope's assistance would be added to the imperial treasury. The emperor begged the English king to contribute nothing more to the pope to his prejudice. If that request was disobeyed, the subjects of the English king who were sojourning in the empire should be visited with a heavy vengeance. On the other hand, if the king would abide by his counsels, he would free England from the tax which Pope Innocent III had laid upon it, and would rescue it from other burdens with which it was daily oppressed by the pope. This letter, according to Matthew Paris, regained the affections of many for the emperor, and it certainly worked not a little harm to the pope. Master Martin's demands were met by the prelates of England with a flat refusal. The treacherous Master Martin then clandestinely laid greedy hands upon the revenues of many vacant churches, continues the same chronicler. But of these things, it is better out of respect to the Roman church to be silent than to relate them for the purpose of exciting scandal. They served, however, to excite a popular outburst of fury against the papal collector. Folk Fitzwarren and some other nobles bearded him in his own chamber. Arise, get thee forth, depart at once from England, commanded the intruders. In whose name speakest thou, said Master Martin, in the name of the barons of England. If you are not gone in three days, you and yours shall be cut in pieces. Martin sought the king and demanded if this thing was done in his name. It is not by my command, answered Henry, but my barons will no longer endure your depredations and iniquities, and with difficulty I have hitherto prevented them in their fury from attacking you and tearing you limb from limb. The priest was overcome with fear and trembled. I ask your majesty out of your love for God and reverence for the Pope to allow me a safe conduct out of your realms. May the devil carry you away to hell, was Henry's impatient answer. Master Martin slunk away from London at night and rode to Dover with the speed of panic, and his departure, we are assured, rejoiced the hearts of many. Frederick at this time was like a bear robbed of her whelps, he ravaged the papal territories with a ruthless hand. His temper was not improving under the stress of continued persecution, and the Pope's subjects met with little mercy. 
a letter sent to the Pope by some zealous Gwelf rises to fine heights of virulent abuse in its description of the Emperor's harrying of the faithful. He is compared with Lucifer the great dragon, Herod, Nero, Nimrod, Uzziah, Belshazzar, and a host of other notorious characters. He has an iron neck and a brazen forehead. His oaths are as fleeting as the morning clouds. He has shut up three empresses in turn in his secret prison, and caused them to be poisoned by his cook. Let him be hurled forth from the sanctuary, and let his name be forgotten, even as that of Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. Innocent might have expected that Frederick would avenge himself in this way, but he was not minded to let it pass in silence. On Holy Thursday, 1245, he renewed the excommunication which had been pronounced by Gregory, and included King Enzo with his father in the sentence. Europe, however, was becoming too familiar with the situation to regard the anathema with becoming awe, or to accept, unreservedly, the awful guilt of the emperor which it implied. The words of a priest of Paris expressed the general state of mind throughout Christendom. I have received commands, he said to his flock, to issue a solemn sentence of excommunication against the emperor Frederick. Of the reason of this I am ignorant, but I am not ignorant of the serious controversy and unquenchable hatred that has arisen between him and the Pope. I know not whether the Pope or the Emperor be the offender, but I excommunicate the guilty party, whichever of the two it be, and the one who is innocent I absolve. End of section 26